Good afternoon. Welcome to the Eagle News Report. I'm your host this week, Scott Greeson, Conservation Director with Friends of the Eel River. The Eco News Report is an exclusive feature of KHSU brought to you by the North Coast Environmental Center, publisher of our regional environmental newspaper, the Eco News. Don't forget, you can find this show and other KHSU public affairs shows on the audio archives page at khsu.org. My guest today is Glenn Spain. Glenn is the Northwest Regional Director of the Pacific Coast Federation of Fishermen's Associations. He's also the co-counsel, that is to say, a litigating attorney, on a case we're going to be discussing today, the Environmental Law Federation versus the State Water Resources Control Board. Welcome to the Econews Report, Glenn. Thank you. Glad to be here. So let's just start by laying out just a little bit about this case. One of One of your co-counsels on the case, Richard Frank, who's at the UC Davis School of Law, describes it as one of the most consequential public trust decisions in decades in California, a really important case. It sure looks like one to me. But let's just talk a little bit about what it's about to start with. Well, it's about water in California, which is, of course, as Mark Twain says, whiskey is for drinking and water is for fighting over. Water has been a big problem in California since its origins in terms of how you control water, how you prevent people from using your water, how you prioritize water uses and that sort of thing. And interestingly enough, California is the only state in the union that up until very recently had no regulation at the state level of its groundwater. In, in other words, it was ignoring the fact that most of the, the state's rivers are supplied by aquifers that are groundwater. So it's perfectly possible to basically deplete an aquifer since the regulation was only on a county level, and many counties didn't really pay much attention to that. And in that process, you could be depleting a nearby river, a navigable river. And, of course, that affects the fish and fisheries, which is our interest since we're commercial fishing interests. And our families need those fish and need those healthy rivers to make their lives and their livelihoods. So that's why we got involved in these issues, and that's why we've been up to our eyebrows in water or issues in California for decades now. And it turns out that about 35 years ago, all the way up to the California Supreme Court, a particular case called the Mono Lake case, technically called Oliven Society versus Los Angeles, But the Mono Lake case basically established for the first time in case law what is called the public trust doctrine. Now, the public trust doctrine goes back to ancient Roman law. The Institutes of Justinian, yeah. Yes, exactly. Emperor Justinian, who apparently had good advisors and maybe a good lawyer, but in any event, he declared that certain resources are owned by the state and they're held in trust for the people. One of those resources was water. Yeah. The sea, its shores, the flowing waters, the air are held in common, held for the benefit of of everyone and can't be owned by anyone is the basic idea. Yeah. Exactly. Now, California water law is a very interesting mix of English common law and Roman civil law, believe it or not, because it was originally an overlay of... Spanish water law, which derives from Roman civil law. So the public trust doctrine was sort of written early on, even before statehood, into our water laws in the state of California. That's not necessarily true elsewhere, but in California, there was this thing called the public trust doctrine, 
which you had to satisfy in some fashion if there were no other statutes that applied. And that's the key, is are there other statutes that apply? If there is a statute, typically a court will rule on the basis of that statute. So the original Mono Lake case was brought under no statute, but under the public trust doctrine alone, to try to establish the public trust doctrine as an integral part of California law at the case law level, at the Supreme Court level. That was successful. And essentially what it, it ruled is that a river, a flowing river, is a public trust asset, and no one can block that river and destroy that public asset without being regulated by the state. The state has to regulate that or control it or avoid it or mitigate it. The city of Los Angeles was essentially drying up Mono Lake, which was a national wildlife refuge and you know, national heritage site. They were basically depleting it of water by depleting all the local rivers that feed into Mono Lake. Yeah, basically they were diverting the streams that fed the lake off exactly. to, to feed Los Angeles. Exactly. Now, that ruling was very interesting. It was really a landmark ruling, and since then it hasn't really been applied very much because if you're a young lawyer and you're trying to win a case, you're going to throw every citation and every legal statute and everything you can in it. The public trust doctrine is often mentioned, but the courts never touch it because it's less defined than the statute. So for many years, no one really knew the extent of the public trust doctrine in terms of how it would be applied by the court. Yeah, you only get to it if, if something else doesn't apply. Exactly, right. The, the big unknown also is what do you do with groundwater? Is groundwater part of the public trust doctrine and subject to automatic regulation by the state, even when there's no statute that says the state can regulate it? Right. That was a big question mark. Right. And this goes to a deeper confusion across all of American law, where it really feels like law has yet to actually absorb the lessons of science. So there's this pretense that groundwater is a different thing than, quote unquote, surface water. When science exactly. says they're the same. Exactly. So what our, our experts at Environmental Law Foundation did is they looked for a case, a particular river system, where we could make that case. That, in fact, there is a connection. And when there is a connection between groundwater and surface flow, shouldn't that monoleg public trust responsibility essentially flow upstream into that aquifer and control whether or not you can limit or divert, or completely dry up an aquifer. So let's talk about the Scott River. Okay. Well, the Scott River was one of those instances. We got involved because it's a major salmon-bearing river, and it badly needs to be restored. We've been working on that for many, many years. Let's remind people where it is. It's in Fiskew County. It's one of the tributary rivers to the Klen, a smaller river, but a very important river historically for salmon production. There are no dams or anything like that in, in the river, in that, that tributary, but it's surrounded by irrigation all around it. Scott Valley is a, a, a very fruitful place to farm. It's a ranching and farming valley, basically. Yeah. yeah. And under California law at that time, and this is still to a large degree true, there was no state regulation of how much water you could take out of the groundwater. That's there right. was an adjudication that arbitrarily set a 500-foot limit. If your well, for instance, is 500-plus feet away from the river, it was deemed not to be connected to the river flow. That sounds like a strange way to draw that, that distinction. Well, okay. it, was an, it was at that time quite arbitrary. It right. still is arbitrary. 
science tells us that flows of aquifers go for miles in many directions. And so, but in any event, the regulation of that river system was left to the county, as it was throughout California. Only the counties issue well permits. The county, of course, doesn't take into account cumulative impact. It doesn't take into account the impacts on surrounding landowners of adding more and more wells every year. And over the years, quite a number of wells have been permitted by the county in ways that probably do affect the river flow. And let's be clear, the counties and Siskiyou County and Humboldt County could be lumped together in this respect, haven't failed to regulate groundwater because they lack the power. It's because they lack the motivation. Yes, and worse than that is when it's left to the counties, there are many aquifers that span several counties. So the incentive for each county is to issue as many well permits as possible to take as much water for their people as you can before the other county gets it. So there is an incentive under that regulatory system for a race to the bottom, and that's what we saw in a lot of places in the California Central Valley. Some counties do a better job, but by and large, most counties in the past have had very little to do with regulating groundwater. Some, some like Siskiyou County, do very little. So, in any event, the end result was the Scott River is dewatered or close to being dewatered every summer. More and more water is taken out from the groundwater for irrigation, less and less flows in the river. And over years, you can chart that pretty quickly. But the Scott River used to have salmon in it. How can salmon survive a river with no water in it? Well, that's the point. (laughs) That's why we got involved in it, because we really need to get control of our groundwater statewide because it does affect salmon runs in every river system in California. When you when you deplete an aquifer, as we've seen in the California Central Valley particularly, it has massive repercussions, including ground subsidence. There are places that have sunk almost 30 feet in the California Central Valley because of aquifer overdraw. So we have a lot of problems throughout California. But the real question is, how do you regulate groundwater? And we did petition the State Water Board to impose regulation under the Public Trust Doctrine. They denied that they had the power to do that. We similarly petitioned Siskiyou County to do that. They denied that they had the obligation to do it, as well as not the power to do it. So that landed us in court against the State Water Board in the county of Sacramento, which is where you sue the State Water Board typically because they're, they're a state agency. And the whole issue was whether or not a groundwater system that is provably connected to surface water flows is subject to the Mono Lake variety of public trust doctrine. If so, that creates independent legal obligations as well as authority for both the water board and the county to regulate groundwater insofar as they can prevent it disrupting or depleting river flows. And again, that's in their capacity as the sovereign, as the representative of all the people. So they're holding these values in trust so that all the people and all future people, all future citizens can still reap the benefits. Now, there are various statutes in the water code that could apply. We deliberately avoided filing on the basis of any of those statutes because strategically we want this decision based on the public trust doctrine to expand the Mono Lake case so that it really applies to groundwater insofar as it's connected to surface water. And most is, not all. There are some ancient aquifers that aren't really connected to river systems, but most of the groundwater in California is directly and provably connected to surface water flows. That's where our rivers come from for the most part of the year. 
so what we did then, of course, is to go into court. The claim was denied by the State Water Board, denied by the county. It attracted a number of amici, including the Farm Bureau, Pacific Legal Foundation representing the Farm Bureau, and a whole bunch of other folks who have, over the years, done a lot of squabbling and arguing over water rights in California and the, the scope and extent of water rights. Just to translate for our audience that doesn't happen to be lawyers, the amici in this case means people, entities filing what are called friends of the court briefs. So they're not actually parties to the litigation. They are entities who think they're interested in the outcome and want to encourage the court to come down in one way or the other. Exactly. They're providing advice to the court, essentially, from one viewpoint or another. The other big issue is, and remember, we filed this in 2010. The other big issue that held things up is the venue. So Siskiyou County argued that it should be in Siskiyou County. We argued that it should and was properly in Sacramento County because the water board was there. The county argued that since it affects their adjudicated water system in the Scott, it should be in the county. Eventually, we won that sort of venue fight, that adjudication fight, and we kept it in Sacramento County and then eventually went to trial on the key legal issues. Now, keep in mind that when you're talking about a particular area, you're talking about a lot of factual issues. So-and-so has a well here. It's that many feet from the river, et cetera, et cetera. The fundamental issues, though, are legal issues. And so what we did is we went on a motion for summary judgment on the legal issues that are the foundational issues of that argument. Does, in fact, the public trust doctrine apply? If it does apply, ultimately we come back to the superior court and we deal with all the little niggly factual issues with respect to the Scott. But what we were trying to do is establish a statewide precedent. Right, because you're dealing with a case here really of first impression. You're trying to clarify whether legally this is the case or not. Let me just bust in and tell our listeners that if you're just tuning in, this is the Eco News Report. I'm Scott Greeson, Conservation Director of Friends of the Eel River. I'm talking with Glenn Spain, who's the Northwest Regional Director for the Pacific Coast Federation of Fishermen's Associations. We're talking about a fairly important Court of Appeals case that's just come down in late August on the public trust doctrine and its application to groundwater. So in any event, after after several years of fighting over jurisdiction, yes, eventually we took it to trial on these specific issues, on these specific foundational issues. You can't decide the rest of the case until you decide those issues, in other words. So, and we got a ruling in favor of our position by the Superior Court. That then was appealed to the first appellate level, that's the third district that applies to Sacramento. And we spent a lot of time going back and forth on a list of issues to decide, to submit to the court, then the briefing. And here we are, almost eight years later, we have a decision from the first level of appellate judges. Meanwhile, something pretty important happened, which is that the state of California passed the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. And I would encourage listeners to put the sustainable part of that in scare quotes, at least for another 20 years until we find out if it actually works. But the, the basic idea of that law is that counties will be going forward required to regulate at least the most important and most vulnerable 
aquifers, those that are most subject to depletion by unregulated pumping? I would say it's a little less less clear-cut than that. It's not that Sigma requires them to regulate it, but to have a plan for how to do that. Fair enough. So to a degree, it's a statute requiring them to have a plan for how to do something that they typically don't particularly want to do much. Decline to do, yeah. So, but in any event, in the appeals process, as interestingly enough, the water board's position shifted. Right. The water board came to support our position. Which is a little odd, given that you were suing them. Well, yes, they basically said they're right, <laughs> which is always nice. Yeah. But Siskiyou County was also party. Siskiyou County took it up on appeal because right. they do not believe that that power exists under the, under the Public Trust Doctrine. So that's why we wound up in appeal. During that period of time, Siskiyou County looked at Sigma and said, look, the state has just adopted this statute that deals with groundwater. That should be the end of it. That, essentially, they said, cancels out any public trust obligation and supersedes it. Right. Going back to your explanation of the public trust doctrine, the basic idea is that this right exists as a sort of inchoate right and obligation, but once it's made concrete in a specific statute, then the courts have generally said, you've got to deal with that law. You've got to go to that agency and deal with that. So that's how... For example, a public trust claim that Epic brought to the California Supreme Court with respect to the protection of wildlife got disposed of. The court said, well, no, there's no public trust doctrine here because the Department of Fish and Game, as it then stood, now the Department of Fish and Wildlife, has this authority, has, has this obligation. So go talk to them about your wildlife impacts. Exactly. We were trying to avoid that kind of side rail. <laughs> so, the, the, and the question is, is it hangs on whether the legislature intended to preempt and supersede the public trust doctrine. And the courts, in their decision recently, found that there was not a shred of evidence in the record that the legislature intended to preclude or preempt the public trust doctrine. Let me just quote from the Court of Appeals' opinion. We invent no legislative intent to eviscerate the public trust in navigable waters. And in fact, the, the stigma is very interesting because it really is more of a, an agreement to plan rather than an action legislation. It doesn't give any mandate to the counties, but it does say one thing, and that is if, if the counties refuse to come up with a groundwater management plan, then the state can preempt them. But that's as far as it goes. And how that will play out and where that will go and whether these plans will be sufficient or not it's still a big open question. But yeah. in any event, it does not abrogate the public trust doctrine. The State Water Board can, in fact, manage groundwater under this ruling. So the, the field in which the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act is attempting to change things is one that's already, suffice it to say, hotly contested between agricultural interests and everybody else who cares about water. And you know what I've observed in the rollout of the SJMA on the North Coast is that the interests that benefit from unregulated groundwater pumping are quite alarmed about the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act and its implementation, but they're even more alarmed about this case and the idea that there is a public trust issue in groundwater that's connected to surface water. So, for example, the Eel River, which has just disconnected again at its mouth, may give rise to some real public trust concerns 
with respect to groundwater pumping around around the mouth of the river. It may. And the third area of concern for a lot of those irrigation interests is the fact that their groundwater is disappearing all around them. Right. So they're caught in a very difficult situation. They don't want regulation, but without regulation, you have the typical tragedy of the common. The guy with the deepest well wins. So it's, an, it's interesting, you know, when Sigma was being debated, some of the water users and water users associations were very much in favor of it. Some were not. The compromise is that it remains in county hands to regulate groundwater. And I think ultimately that still signals the state being, you know, one of the very few states where groundwater isn't regulated by the state as as such. Which remains, I've got to say, a real problem in terms of protection of these resources because it means we've got to get the counties to act and hold the counties accountable on an individual level. And there are, what, 56 counties in California? Exactly. And, and some of them in the Central Valley all are over one same aquifer. And so, again, the incentive is to go racing to the bottom. That's the tragedy of the commons. But in any event, it may be that this ruling ultimately will help bring some stability to that county-by-county management by inserting state regulation. Glenn, while we're talking about the public trust doctrine, I just wanted to mention another angle to this question of the public trust, which is the exciting novel and probably a step too far for the courts idea of the atmospheric trust. That's the basis of a number of lawsuits that have been brought across the country by a group called Our Children's Trust that are basically saying to the courts, you know, Justinian's idea included the air and we are filling the air with the, you know, the residue of burning fossil fuels with a carbon dioxide burden that is going to endanger all life. You know, there's a public trust responsibility to deal with that. So this is both a very, very old idea and one that has some very current implications. And the federal courts so far have not dismissed it, even though the government has tried to get them to do so a number of times. That will go to trial. It's scheduled, I think, in October. I happen to live in the area where that case is going to be tried, which is Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, that's one of the leading cases, yeah. So I guess another point to make here is that it's not at all clear that this is done in terms of this set of legal issues being played out. It's clear that the Farm Bureau, represented by the Pacific Legal Foundation and others, are not at all happy with the Court of Appeals ruling here, and and they take a a very different view of groundwater. Could you give us just a minute or two on what that is, what their perspective is? Well, the question is, what's the next step? This is a a Court of Appeals decision. It is a Court of Appeals decision that is binding on the State Water Board because they are in that district. But it's not yet a statewide precedent. I think you could say that. How would you apply it to a county in Southern California? Well, it wouldn't necessarily apply until it goes up to, and it's expected to go up to the California Supreme Court. We want it to go up. We tried actually petitioning the court to take it up on its own motion early on and avoid the appellate process altogether, which was about a five-year haul. But they refused to do so because, in their view, the case would get simpler if it went to an appellate level of of winnowing out the issues. And I can see their point. Right now, these issues are very clear-cut. Does the state water board, does the state... Do counties have a legal duty to manage groundwater insofar as it's connected to or affects river systems that are part of the public trust doctrine? 
And those issues are going up on appeal. We're still waiting for Siskiyou County's decision whether or not to appeal it, but it almost certainly will be. But just to draw out the contrast as clearly as we can, as I understand the position on the other side, it's that not only that the state has neither authority nor obligation to regulate groundwater, it's that groundwater is privately owned. It's property of the person whose land sits atop it. Well, that's the Farm Bureau's view. And that Farm Bureau view has been asserted in case after case and has essentially been denied by the courts. The public trust doctrine is actually written to some degree, not called that, but written into our Constitution. The California Constitution says point blank that water is owned by the state of California. You do not have the right to own water in California. You have the right to use water. Right. Call a eufructory Usufruct, yeah. interest. Yeah. You have the right to use it if you use it for beneficial purposes. You can't waste it. Right. Only to the extent it's reasonable and the state gets to decide what's reasonable. So the Farm Bureau's position is radically far, far away from the mainstream of law on this position. But they've been asserting it nonetheless for many years, and they asserted it in this case as well. I don't think that's likely to happen. I, I think, frankly, the, the, the appellate court ruling is very well-reasoned. I would, of course, because it's in our favor. But I right. think that most scholars looking at it believe that it's well-reasoned, that it makes excellent sense, and that unlike the past where the groundwater and the connections between groundwater and surface water was a gigantic black box, we know a lot more from the science how to track these connections, how to prove these connections and where these connections are. It's not so much a black box anymore. And to the degree where a connection can be shown in the Scott under this ruling, even if it's past that 500 marker, 500 foot marker in the adjudication, it would still be within the right of the state and the county to regulate that. Glenn, this has been an outstanding conversation. I'm out of time. Is there any final point you'd like to make? Well, somebody once said in the legal profession, water law is to law as military music is to music. (laughs) Water law in California is a mix of metaphors, to say the least, a mix of, of English common law, Spanish civil law. And, and, you know, bootstrap, common sense. Appropriation doctrine and riparian doctrine living together. Right, yes, yeah. right on top of each other. Yeah. And what this does is it adds another tool, uh, another legal tool to the state agencies whose job it is, is to intercede and prevent these kinds of conflicts. And since one of the biggest attributes of California is that it's dry, for the most part, in most places, and that's likely to get drier in the future, not wetter. Right. These tools are very important to make sure that we've got these available. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and for all your work on the case and for all your work over the years to keep fish in the rivers and fish on our plate. Well, you know, I work for an industry that is environmentally dependent. It, 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 we don't exist without clean rivers and without clean water and without healthy estuaries and healthy oceans. So I think in my, in my experience, no one has been more active in protecting and implementing environmental regulations for the good of humanity and the good of our society than our industry. I'm proud to say uh, I'm part of that. Thanks again, Glenn Spain. I hope I can do more of these sorts of victories. <laughs> yeah, us too. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, we'll we'll see who it goes, but I, I, I think Cisco County has absolutely nothing to lose from appealing. Yeah, it applies to them now, and if they appeal it, then it does. It, it, it will become a statewide precedent, and all that's all to the good. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, thanks so much. All righty, take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. This has been the Eco News Report. My name's Scott Greeson. I've been your host for the past hour. I've been speaking with Glenn Spain. He's the Northwest Regional Director of the Pacific Coast Federation of Fishermen's Associations. He's an attorney of many decades' experience, and as we noted in the show, he was co-counsel on the case we were discussing, which is captioned Environmental Law Foundation versus State Water Resources Control Board. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. You can hear this broadcast again on the archive programs page of the station's website at khsu.org. The Eco News Report is produced at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Tune in again next week, the same time for the Eco News Report. <laughs>